faith is believing in something you can't see, you can't feel, something that can't be proven. Then how do you know which is the right faith? I think that's a gut thing. I don't think about a right faith. I think about what resonates with me. I feel authentic. It brings me peace. I think there is no absolute truth in any religion. I think it's a matter of subjective experience. I kind of just trust my intuition, trust my gut. You just know. You just got to follow it. You just got to follow what you think is your faith. If faith is blind, then what makes one belief better or worse than any other? And if it's just a leap in the dark, why should any of us feel obligated to believe anything at all? My name is Shane Rosenthal. I was raised in a Jewish home, but became an atheist at a very young age. Later, as I began to question things, I ended up losing faith in my atheism and converted to Christianity. Since that time, I've never stopped asking questions, and I've spoken with authors and scholars from all over the world in order to explore the beliefs and ideas that shape our lives. Over the years, one thing I've concluded is this. We're all believers. But because there are so many conflicting ideas and worldviews out there, we just can't all be right. So how do we find the truth? On this podcast, we'll start by asking questions. I'm really just trying to figure out what I believe right now. Is faith irrational? That's the subject I'll be exploring on this edition of the Humble Skeptic Podcast. And to get the ball rolling, I'd like you to listen to the following exchange that took place some years ago between Bill Maher and the conservative Christian activist, Ralph Reed. I, I want to thank you for being here because, you know, a lot of people who are people of faith don't want to, you know, even be seen with me because I am the opposite of a person of faith. Uh, so I appreciate your courage. And I want to ask you right off the bat, faith, the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. I'm just defining it. We haven't said anything controversial yet. My question is, why is faith a good thing? Why is that a good thing? Well, uh, speaking for myself, uh, faith gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me a moral compass. It's a relationship. It's not a set of rules. I understand that some people look at it and say, well, you're not really thinking for yourself. That's not really true. Um, I do think critically. I study things. But I believe my destiny is resolved. And when you feel that your eternal destiny is resolved, you have a peace and a comfort and a freedom and a liberty to do the right thing and not care what other people think. Well, I'll, I'll give you comfort. I'll give you, I'll give you that one. So, because when, you, when, you, when you've convinced yourself that there is this place you're going to go mm-hmm. for which there is absolutely no evidence, <laughs> it is just something people pulled right out of their ass, <laughs> Ralph. Um, I'm sure it is easier to lay your head at night at the pillow and think, oh, this is good because, you know, if I die in my sleep, it's only going to get better. So right off the bat, Bill Maher defined faith as the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. Now, of course, if he's right about this, then faith, by definition, would be irrational. But is this definition of faith accurate? That's the question I'll be exploring throughout this episode. But what I thought was particularly noteworthy was the fact that while Bill Maher seemed to be making objective claims about the nature of faith, in his response, 
Ralph Reed preferred to use subjective language as he focused on the way faith had enriched his own personal life. Now, if I was to tell you that I never stopped believing in the Tooth Fairy, and that to this day my faith is so strong, in fact, that I actually commune with her every day, and that I consider this to be the most important relationship of my life, since it gives me a moral compass and a sense of purpose, if that sounds a little crazy to you, it might help you to see why religious faith ends up sounding irrational to people like Bill Maher, since in their view, belief in any form of supernaturalism is akin to believing in magic. Now, to Ralph Reed's credit, at one point in the conversation, he did attempt to explain that as a man of faith, he hadn't purposefully suspended his own critical thinking. But ultimately, the only justification he ended up providing for faith had to do with its practical value. Quote, my faith gives me a sense of peace, comfort, and the freedom to do what's right, regardless of what other people think. But the elephant in the room, of course, is whether or not his faith is just as irrational as believing in the tooth fairy. Now, as you heard, Bill Maher conceded the point that faith gives people comfort, particularly when it comes to contemplating our own mortality. But the point he wished to stress more than anything was that all religious beliefs about the afterlife were simply ideas that men had, to put it somewhat less crudely, pulled completely out of thin air. This, of course, begs the question, has Bill Maher, in fact, investigated all the claims that men have made throughout history about the afterlife? And is he able to provide evidence to corroborate his claim that all such views have been totally made up? Or is he simply making a dogmatic claim that each of us needs to take, well, on faith? I think my own story is relevant here because, like Bill Maher, I used to be a thoroughgoing secularist who was convinced that all religious beliefs and ideas were essentially rooted in made-up stories designed to explain the unexplainable. Truth be told, I still believe this accounts for many of the world's religions and worldviews, whether ancient or modern. But as I began to study the life of Jesus, I ended up being convinced that my views about this particular individual simply weren't consistent with the facts I kept bumping into. As John Adams famously said, facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. This is what I tried to flesh out during the last episode in my search to discover whether my dad had really been at the piano bar that served as the inspiration for Billy Joel's Piano Man. I didn't simply want to blindly follow either family tradition on the one hand or my own personal intuition on the other. I wanted to find out for myself the truth of what really happened through an investigation of any and all available facts. In my opinion, all our beliefs should be consistent with the facts of the real world, wherever those facts end up leading. Sometimes the discovery of new facts can overthrow old paradigms and belief systems if we have the humility and intellectual integrity to attend to them closely. Sometimes our own dogmas and beliefs can get in the way of seeing the world as it really is, which is why we should be humble and skeptical even of our own views, constantly checking them to see if they do in fact correspond to the real world. Now the question on the table for this particular episode is whether faith, by definition, is irrational or reasonable. And to get us started, I'd like you to listen to the following. Faith, to me, means belief in the absence of evidence. Today I'm going to talk to you about faith. The complete confidence in someone or something, despite the absence of proof. Proof is one of the only sins that we can commit, really, because it just shows you don't have faith. If you feel you have to prove yourself, you don't have faith. This is why religions are called faiths. 
because you believe something in the absence of evidence. That's what it is. That's why it's called faith. When we talk about faith, and you probably Google it, it comes up and says something to the effect of belief in the absence of evidence. And so for me, faith is a struggle for me because I have to walk forward and believe that without the evidence, I'm okay. If there were evidence for it, why would you need to call it faith? You'd say just evidence. We only need to use the word faith when there isn't any evidence. Now, throughout all those audio clips, which featured selections from Richard Dawkins, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and a variety of other sound bites that I extracted from YouTube, there seemed to be a common consensus that faith is the absence of evidence or proof. But again, we need to stop and ask whether this is really the case. In preparation for a lecture that I recently gave on this topic, I decided to check the world's foremost authoritative source for all things related to the English language, namely the Oxford English Dictionary. Featuring 20 volumes and over 21,000 pages of content, the OED isn't a typical dictionary that you're likely to find in an average household. But thankfully, it's now accessible through an online subscription, so I created my own account and began investigating the true meaning of the English word faith. One thing that immediately becomes clear with an exhaustive dictionary of this kind is that just about every word in the English language happens to have multiple definitions. And as it turns out, the word faith is sometimes used in a variety of different ways. Sometimes it refers to an oath of loyalty, as with a good faith promise, but it can also refer to a system of religious belief, such as the Christian or Muslim faith. But among all the varying definitions I was able to discover in the Oxford English Dictionary, one that I was not able to find was the idea that faith is believing something in the absence of evidence. In fact, what I actually found was the complete opposite. What? According to the Oxford English Dictionary, one of the definitions of faith is this. Belief based on evidence, testimony, or authority. Now, among the citations included as an example of this definition of faith is a selection from a book by Isaac Watts, written in 1725, titled Logic, or the Right Use of Reason in the Inquiry After Truth. Here's the relevant passage. When we derive the evidence of any proposition from the testimony of others, it is called the evidence of faith, and this is a large part of our knowledge. Ten thousand things there are which we believe merely upon the authority or credit of those who have spoken or written of them. It is by this evidence that we know there is such a country as China, and that there was such a man as Cicero who dwelt in Rome. It is by this that most of the transactions in human life are managed, according as the persons that inform us of anything are many or few, or more or less wise and credible, so our faith is more or less firm or wavering, and the proposition believed is either certain or doubtful. End quote. So now let me ask you this. Have you ever been to Antarctica? If not, why do you believe it really exists? Well, if you think about it, you're likely to believe in the existence of Antarctica because of the evidence of so many trustworthy witnesses who have written and spoken about it, along with the fact that they've never been contradicted. According to Isaac Watts, faith isn't believing in something in the absence of evidence, but instead rests on the credibility and trustworthiness of others. And as he states, the more witnesses you have, and the more credible their testimony, the more firm you will become in your faith. So in this light, faith is an entirely reasonable and rational thing. In fact, it's something we can't live without. 
I discussed this point with Australian historian and New Testament scholar John Dixon a couple of years ago while I was still hosting the White Horse Inn, and here's what he had to say during that conversation. Faith in its sort of original meaning really comes down to confidence or trust. That's the root idea of the word. The idea that it's sort of blindly accepting things without evidence is a brand new definition in the history of the world. You can actually date when this started to happen, when people started to use the word faith in in the sort of believing things without evidence is in the 1800s. Now, I have never looked through the microscope at the things biologists tell me are going on in cells. So everything I know about the nature of the cell, I got from my science teacher and from the science textbook. And I accepted it. So even someone like Richard Dawkins, you know, the most famous atheist, but also a very competent zoologist, even Richard Dawkins is relying on his buddies in physics to uh, know about the speed of light, to know about the cosmic background radio waves that are detected. He's never actually gone and tested that. He's relying on the testimony in academic journals or his friends down the road in Oxford. He's relying on their testimony. He judges them to be worthwhile, valuable, trustworthy, and he believes it. By the way, if you're interested in listening to my entire conversation with John Dixon, you could find a link to that White Horse Inn program in the show notes section of this episode. Now, as you heard in that clip, John Dixon argued that it wasn't actually until the 1800s that the definition of the word faith began to change into this idea of belief in the absence of evidence. In addition to using tools such as the Oxford English Dictionary, another way of verifying this point is by using Google's Ngram Viewer. With this tool, you're able to chart the occurrence of words or phrases in all the books that Google has scanned from the 1500s to the present. So if, for example, you type in the words leap of faith, you'll see that this particular phrase doesn't actually come into use until the 1920s. If you'd like to see an image of the graph I created using the Google Ngram Viewer, again, just head to the show notes section of this episode. Now, I was able to find one section of the Oxford English Dictionary that defined faith as belief or confidence without any evidence or proof. But as it turns out, this is the definition that appears under the phrase blind faith. The word blind, you see, is the key term of this phrase since it ends up modifying the kind of faith that is involved. But if faith always meant belief in the absence of evidence, why would anyone have felt the need to add this particular modifier? For if, by definition, faith is a kind of blind leap, then the phrase blind faith would be completely redundant. Another question I decided to investigate was the nature of the word faith as it appears in the Greek New Testament. In other words, is the original Greek word for faith similar to the English word as defined by the OED, or is it closer to the definition given by the likes of Bill Maher, Richard Dawkins, and Neil deGrasse Tyson? Well, as it turns out, the Greek word for faith is pistis, which is defined by one prominent lexicon as that which evokes trust and faith. In its verbal form, it means to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. Another form of this word means to establish or confirm something as true. That's the way the first century Jewish historian Josephus used this word when he wrote to say, quote, I have demonstrated and confirmed the truth of what I have said from the writings of the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans. Aristotle used this word when he wrote to say that, quote, true theories are the most valuable for conduct as well as for science, harmonizing with the facts they carry conviction, end quote. 
and a first century writer by the name of Strabo used the word pistis when he said, quote, this investigation only confirms us all the more in our belief. In each of these cases, the Greek word for faith, just like its English counterpart, isn't viewed apart from, but is supported by, evidential considerations. Furthermore, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus himself says this, quote, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works themselves, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me. Here it seems clear that Jesus does not view faith as some kind of blind, irrational leap. But instead, we find him recommending that people believe him on the basis of what they see and hear him do. Now, at this point, some of you may be wondering about one verse in particular from Hebrews chapter 11. This verse says, quote, Faith is the substance of things not seen, the evidence of things hoped for. If faith is the substance of things not seen, isn't that clear proof that the Bible actually supports this idea of blind faith? Well, I'm convinced that this verse has been greatly misunderstood and is the source of a great deal of confusion about the nature of faith in our day. And so I'll be exploring this passage in some detail in the next episode. The question I'm attempting to answer on this program is whether or not faith is rational. In this sense, I actually find myself agreeing to some extent with the critique of faith as presented by the likes of Bill Maher, Richard Dawkins, and others. Because if faith is defined as the suspension of critical thinking or believing in things without any appeal to evidence, then with them, I would conclude that faith isn't a good thing. In fact, this is the primary reason that I end up rejecting most of the world's religious and worldview claims. You see, in most cases, we're simply invited to accept as true a particular set of dogmatic claims without any appeal to evidence whatsoever. Was evidence ever produced for the idea that Zeus fathered Apollo? that yin and yang are equal and opposite forces, or that Muhammad really spoke with God? With regard to that last point, there's actually a revealing passage in the Quran in which the prophet of Islam specifically asks Allah whether or not he will provide a sign in order to authenticate his revelations. But Muhammad is told, quote, The signs belong to Allah, so tell the people, I am only but a public preacher. Is it not enough that we have revealed to you the book which is recited to them? In short, no signs were to be given. Nothing outside the Quran itself attests to its supernatural character or authority. It's just something that people are asked to blindly believe. The problem is that few seem to be aware of the distinctive nature of the Christian faith claim, including among Christians themselves. In fact, in my own research, most of the Christians I've talked with seem to think that faith isn't something that can be proved or established by evidence of any kind. Listen, for example, to the following interviews I recently recorded at a variety of Christian gatherings. So I'm doing a podcast and I'm talking to people about faith. Like, what do you think faith is? Faith is believing in something that you can't grasp or hold. You can't read it and touch it or feel it. It's something you just, you know you have because it's faith. It's by faith. Why do you think you have the right faith? I don't think about a right faith. I think about what resonates with me. I feel authentic. It brings me peace. Faith is believing without seeing. So it's blind? It's blind. Okay. Yeah. So why did you make this blind faith leap here? Uh, that's a hard question. So what in your view is faith? It, it's kind of just believing in what you can't see, just knowing. I don't know. You can't see what's ahead of you. You just got to take that step. So why did you take this step into the Christian religion, not the Muslim leap or the, like, if you can't see? 
How do you tell the difference between the right thing and the wrong thing? I kind of just trust, trust my intuition, trust my gut, just that, yeah, that it's right. It's the right way. Faith is something that you really, really have solid in your heart. You know it. It's not something cognitive. I believe it's believing in something that you can't really see, but you know so deep in your heart that it's true. Do you remember the movie, was it Star Wars or Indiana Jones? Remember the step that he needed to take? The walkway was there, but they couldn't Indiana see Jones. it. Was it Indiana yeah. Jones? You know, that's, that's faith. Taking the next step, knowing that God is there, even though you can't see what that next step is. Like that bridge was there, but they couldn't see it. And they had to take the step in faith, knowing that God was there. So how do I know that the step here toward the biblical faith toward Jesus is the right way compared to all the other religious options? I have to think about that (laughs) way for a second. Faith is believing in something that you can't see, you can't feel, something that can't be proven. So then how do you know which is the right faith? I I think that's a gut thing. There's no scientific formula for it. Um, It's just a, a gut thing, a heart thing, something internal that is of the supernatural and can't really be explained. A lot of people, even here, say that you can't prove faith. Faith is a subjective thing. What do you think about that? Um, I would agree you can't prove it. Uh, I kind of live my life just off of faith and trust. Would you call it a blind trust? I guess. Okay. Yeah. How would you define what faith is? I don't know. I think it's a leap in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are a lot of holy books. There are a lot of religions, a lot of gods. Right. So why this one? I think for me... Uh, just the word love sticks out when it comes to God, the God that I serve. He wants a relationship, and that's what's held me to him. Uh, Were you raised in the faith? I was. Yeah, because I've talked to Muslims who give similar answers. They say, I was raised in Islam. I was yeah. raised with the Quran. They read the book. They see the effect it has in their lives. They like the change it makes. This is what I've heard from Muslims. So I'm wondering, like, is it just that's their holy book and we have ours, but it's all the same thing? Yeah, I mean... it they have faith. I think atheists have faith. You know, they have faith in their, what they believe. So why do you think um, yours is the right faith compared to all the other options? Because I have faith. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's such a funny thing because it's like, it's not like a, a definite answer. Like faith is, you, you're grabbing air. I know that I'm grabbing air. So to summarize the views expressed in those interviews, faith isn't something that you can see or prove. It's not cognitive, but something you just know intuitively, deep down in your heart. It's a gut thing that just can't really be explained. In fact, it's sort of like grabbing air. After interviewing close to 100 individuals at a variety of Christian events over the past few months, the overwhelming majority of the answers I received ended up sounding similar to the ones you just heard. Listen, for example, to this brief exchange I recorded with a fellow believer at a Christian music concert in downtown St. Louis. I am curious, if you wouldn't mind, uh, if it's not going to derail your podcast too much. Are you yourself a Christian? I am. Okay. Um, I was was very curious 
if this was sort of a dialogue from yeah. a non-Christian yeah. joining a Christian community yeah. here. It's a, um, the Humble Skeptic Podcast, but right. I'm skeptical of everybody's view, including my own. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's the best way. To, I think it's yeah. the healthiest way to be. Yeah. I think um, any any Christian who doesn't at some time face some sort of doubt or challenge yeah. in their walk is not looking strongly or deeply enough at why they believe what they believe. Yeah. Um, and and I, I certainly think if, if I were to describe uh, faith in a manner that maybe had it was a little less ambiguous than sometimes the way that we use faith is that it is a it is a trust it is a hope that we have something more that this is not all there is to life that we have a a purpose and a function with our existence is it a blind trust or is it a trust rooted in something and that is a I don't know if I can even say. That really is, I think if there wasn't some semblance of blind trust to faith and it no longer becomes faith, it's simply evidence. Um, it's, it's proof. Now what's particularly striking is the fact that this young Christian is expressing a view that is nearly identical to the one put forth earlier by the well-known atheist Richard Dawkins. Listen again to this clip from Dawkins. If there were evidence for it, why would you need to call it faith? You'd say just evidence. We only need to use the word faith when there isn't any evidence. Richard Dawkins is a well-known atheist. So how is it then that his definition of faith ended up winning the day, even in Christian circles? How did faith come to be thought of as the absence of evidence? This is a question I'll be exploring over the next several episodes. Though this new definition of faith seems to have gone mainstream, there do seem to be a few people still around, even in the world of science, who recall the older definition. For example, some years ago, physicist Paul Davies wrote a New York Times op-ed in which he attempted to argue that, quote, science has its own faith-based belief system. All science, he says, proceeds on the assumption that nature is ordered in a rational and intelligible way. You couldn't be a scientist if you thought the universe was a meaningless jumble of odds and ends. When physicists probe to a deeper level of subatomic structure, they expect to encounter additional elegant mathematical order. And so far, this faith has been justified. End quote. When Paul Davies says that science itself is based on faith, he's not suggesting that it's an irrational leap, of course, but rather that it's an explanation that best accounts for the world around us. Listen to what he says in this brief audio clip. You can't be a scientist without having faith that there really is a law-like order in nature. Faith used in, not in the term of believing in something you can't prove, but faith in the sense of reliance on something, an assurance that when we wake up tomorrow, the law of gravitation won't have switched in some arbitrary way. Did you happen to notice how Paul Davies in that clip distinguished between the two different definitions of faith? In his answer, he tried to make clear that he wasn't using the newer definition of faith in the sense that it was, quote, believing in something you can't prove, but instead he was speaking of faith in the sense of a reasonable assurance, such as the idea that the law of gravity will be the same tomorrow as it is today. Unfortunately, few today even seem to be aware of that older definition, whether in the sphere of science or even in our churches. 
In fact, Greg Kokel over at Stand a Reason says that the newer definition of faith as believing in something that you can't prove happens to be deeply entrenched in contemporary Christianity. And so after reflecting on this for some time, Greg ended up concluding that all of us should probably stop using the English word faith altogether. Listen to this clip. The reason that I don't like the word faith is when we say you ought to have faith in Jesus. This word, which is an English translation of a Greek word, the word now no longer really captures the sense of the original English word. And when the current English word no longer captures the sense of the original Greek word, I mean, in the Bible, then it's time to change the current English word. Because when you say faith now in English, it's too easy for people to tack on a couple of other words like leap of. I mean, so when you say, well, you ought to have faith, my faith. Yeah, your blind leap of faith, your unsubstantiated confidence that carried you through. And then it just sounds more like this pill that we take that makes us feel better. It is a deeply entrenched notion in the church as well. In fact, I'll go to churches, and of course, a lot of what we do is apologetics, which is defending the faith. And I'll go to churches and make presentations and give all the reasons why it makes good, rational sense to put your trust in Jesus Christ. We talk about the evidences and the like. And then I'll have Christians that come up to me afterwards, and they'll say, gee, where is room for faith? If what you say is true, if all these facts are really so, where is the room for faith? And I realize when they say that, that they have a conviction deep down inside that somehow faith and facts do not go together. You exercise faith when you don't have the facts. That is not a biblical understanding of faith. It certainly is an understanding of faith in the world. Biblical faith is trust based on what you have good reason to believe is true. As Greg Kogel says there in that clip, the classic biblical definition of the word faith simply means confidence or trust based on something you have good reason to believe. To give but just a single striking example of this, think about the opening of Luke's gospel. Luke nowhere encourages Theophilus to take a leap of faith, but very clearly states right there at the opening that he took the time to investigate the story of Jesus by interviewing and recording the testimony from all the key eyewitnesses. And he specifically says that he did all this in order to provide Theophilus with certainty. Now, think about some of the things Luke could have written in his prologue. He could have said, you know, Theophilus, faith isn't cognitive, so don't think too hard about any of this. Just try to feel it in your gut. He also could have said, the way you'll know this is true, Theophilus, is through your own religious intuition and experience. Had he and other New Testament writers said those sorts of things, then the historic Christian faith could have been rejected as irrational. But as it turns out, the foundational texts of our faith don't say anything of the sort. In my humble opinion, this confusion about the meaning of the word faith lies at the heart of our ever-increasing secularism. Because if faith in God is no more rational than believing in Santa Claus or the Tooth Fairy, then why should anyone bother getting out of bed on Sunday morning? And why should one particular expression of faith be valued over and above all the other options? Along those lines, I'd like you to listen to this conversation. Out of all the religions in the world, why do you believe in the Bible and in Jesus? I grew up in a, in a Christian uh, denomination, and uh, I found that uh, the religious experience is uh, 
something that supports you in uh, situations that are maybe difficult and also it gives you special joy when the situations are favorable. So I have developed my faith in, in Christianity because of the environment that I grew up with. It helped me to find it in that way. I talked to a Muslim once who said she was convinced that Islam was the right religion because of the experience she had and the change it made in her life. So when you're evaluating religious options, what's the thing that convinces you that it's the truth? Yeah, um, I think there is no absolute truth in, in any religion. And I think it's, uh, it's a matter of subjective experience. And uh, I think God is above everyone and God blesses every sincere heart and it doesn't mean that you have to be in the right religion especially to be saved uh, so I, I think there is truth in every in every religion I think uh, any religion I think is better than uh, no faith at all if there is no absolute truth in any religion and all we have is subjective experience then on what basis should anyone prefer religious experiences to secular ones? More importantly, if there really is no such thing as absolute truth in religious matters, then why should we accept as true any of the religious ideas and claims like this? Not only is this an unsubstantiated claim that we must blindly believe, but it's also completely contradictory. For most of the Christians I interviewed, faith isn't something that can be explained. It's just something you know deep in your heart or feel in your gut, not something cognitive that requires proof or evidence of any kind. But though this was certainly the majority opinion, there were a few notable exceptions to this rule. Listen to the way this particular Christian believer chose to respond to my questions. Why do you believe the Bible is the right holy book? There are other holy books, Book of Mormon, the Quran. Why do you trust this book? The, the evidence that has piled up over the centuries uh, is the strongest I've seen of anything. For me, in my search, uh, what is the top priority is truth. Is it true? And I am willing to do and to be whatever that is. And so I am constantly in search of the closest thing. And uh, if I find something that I believe is true, I'm going to follow it. But the Bible so far hasn't let me down. Okay, that doesn't mean I have it all figured out. I don't have every question answered. But every question that I've had so far has so far been answered satisfactorily for what I know now. Uh, so uh, given that, plus the evidence of how it has come together and how long it has stood the test of time, uh, all of that put together makes it the best that I can find. Is faith irrational? That's the question I've been exploring on this episode, and it's time now to give a succinct answer. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter famously says, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If with Peter you agree that Christians can and should be able to give reasons for their faith, then I believe your faith is reasonable and rational. But if you believe that faith is a leap in the dark for which no reasons ever can be given, then I'm convinced that your faith, by definition, is irrational. 
The great need of the hour is for Christians themselves to go back and to re-examine the true foundations of our faith. For example, in Acts 26, Luke records Paul's defense of the Christian faith before Governor Festus and King Agrippa. And in that scene, Festus ended up telling Paul that he was out of his mind and that his great learning was driving him insane. But in his response, Paul simply said this, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, what I am saying is true and reasonable. But the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of The Humble Skeptic. And for more information about this program, simply head to HumbleSkeptic.com. That's HumbleSkeptic.com. And I look forward to being with you again next time as we explore the beliefs and ideas that shape our lives. podcast and I'm talking to people about faith. Like, what do you think faith is? Is it too late for this kind of question? <laughs> I don't want to be on the podcast. Totally anonymous. What do you guys think faith is? Anyone? <laughs>